It's time for Chasing the Word on Compassion Radio. Chasing the Word on Compassion Radio. We continue in chapter 19 of John with the Dynamic Gospel. We are coming up in this time of the year to Holy Week. So this chapter is super appropriate for that. Welcome to the program today. Thanks, Sonny. It's good to be with you. We only have 21 chapters to work with in the book of John. These last three chapters are where it all winds up to fever pitch. Mm-hmm. And we're right in the middle of one of the biggest scenes in the Bible. In front of Pilate and facing the cross, what happens after Pilate finally just gives in and gives up? Mm-hmm. He has done everything humanly possible yeah. to try to save the life of Jesus. Yeah. And the next verse we're going to jump into right now is what Jesus does in response to that ultimatum. We've just seen Pilate handing Jesus over to the guards to do as they please, basically, and he knows at this point that Jesus will be crucified. So in verse 17, carrying his own cross, he went out to what is called the skull place, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side with Jesus in the middle. Pilate also had a sign lettered and put on the cross. The inscription was this, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Well, many of the Jews read this sign because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Don't write the King of the Jews, but that he said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate replied, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four parts, a part for each soldier. They also took the tunic, which was seamless, woven in one piece from the top to the bottom. So they said to one another, Let's not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who gets it. They did this to fulfill the scripture that says, They divided my clothes among themselves, and they cast lots for my clothing. And this is what the soldiers did. Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing there, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. Such a short passage for so much going on. Mm -hmm. First of all, that last little bit. Mother, here's your son. Son, here's your mother. How is he indicating this? Everything about his speech obviously had to be obvious. He was directing it like you. You are the son. You. You are the mother. But you can't, like, just point. You're stuck on a cross. I've been reading these detective novels about the Navajo for years. I've enjoyed them a lot. Mm -hmm. The culture of the Navajo, along with many other cultures, is to indicate directions and things by using things that are not your hands. To point at something is rude. Mm-hmm. but they push their lips in a certain direction to indicate the thing they want to bring your attention to. But it's very, very subtle. Mm-hmm. And it would look kind of strange to our culture. I'm sorry, where? Right. And then they just kind of twitch their lips to the left. Jesus is having to, with his voice or with his nose or something, try to indicate something that is urgent for him. It's not just awkward, it's, it's painful. Right. Even to say, this is your mother, this is your son, 
must have been excruciating. Well, he's hanging there on the cross, and we know from what we've read from researchers who have researched what it's like to be crucified, that breathing is very difficult. Mm. If you put your arms out and try to hold on to something and breathe, it's it's difficult to do, yeah. even without the nails in your flesh, which is already going to be super painful. So he's trying to catch his breath and then say these words, yeah. and probably each phrase he uses, he's got to... You know, he's got to push up on his feet to catch a breath so he can speak. And we know that he was nailed to the cross through his feet. So that's also very painful. I was thinking, though, that from what we understand historically and what we read in the gospel accounts, that John was the only disciple there. So it may have been that that was just an obvious thing, that this is your son. He's oh, the I only one there. Think that's just a convenience thing at all. Well, I think it's intentional. No, I think it was intentional. Jesus is intentionally charging John with this responsibility. I'm sure he is. I, I just think that he has planned that for a long time. Right. He was the one that would be there. And because he's probably a cousin along another line mm-hmm. of the family, there's plenty of indication that James and John were somehow related in the family. Right. So they may have grown up together or been the kid cousins that right. Jesus grew up with, mm-hmm. much like John the Baptist was through Elizabeth, another distant cousin, but part of the family. Mm-hmm. But there's something about that transaction where he, he's doing something I think is the last will and testament. Right. He has one more proclamation to make about his relationship with somebody else. But for right now, he's wrapping up all his earthly business. And he'll never revisit this question again that we know of. Right. He won't come back and say, oh, I'm back. You know, it's okay. I got mom now. From this point forward, as far as earthly responsibilities and identity and position and family and history, he makes that charge to John and says, you're the one. From that point forward, he will always be the son to the mother and he will take care of the mother in her old age. Which is interesting, I think, because we know that Jesus had other brothers and sisters. We read that in the gospel accounts that they came and tried to convince him to leave and come back home and all these kind of things. And we also know that James, who wrote the book of James, was Jesus' brother. There are other siblings that could take care of her, but it seems like this is passing the torch of the oldest son, passing that on to someone who he knows will care for his mother in a way that no one else can, someone who has gone the entire way with Jesus. Yes, he has actually thrown his lot in with him. And the whole idea of forsaking your mother and father to follow me, reaching back to those teachings, his brothers hadn't indicated they were followers. And Mm -hmm. the tradition is that James the Apostle that wrote the book that we treasure because it has such a Mm -hmm. powerful sermon Mm -hmm. to the believing. He was not, that we know of, a committed follower or disciple of Jesus at that point. So Jesus is not wanting to turn his mother over to people that don't get it yet. John is the guy. He's the one that knows him inside and out. He knows his passion. They probably have talked over years about the funny things and all the stories of the family and the things that he's afraid of for his parents when he has to go. Mm. Those aren't recorded in the Gospels, but how do you not have conversations with your best friend about the people you know are going to go through trauma because Mm. of what God the Father has called you to do? I am certain that their relationship was intimate enough that they talked about these things. Yeah, I was thinking that as well. Yeah. So John and probably the other disciples that were around him get it that if this is all going to happen to Jesus, we got to take care of the family. Mm-hmm. And John would be the one that really felt it and owned it early, that he loved Mary. Mm-hmm. As his own mother. 
Well, we know from the book of Acts that Jesus appeared to his brother James. It says specifically, he appeared to these people and this person and in this situation and to his brother James. So there is a very specific and intentional calling out of that event in, in the book of Acts. James, at this point, might be, I'm going to go back to Nazareth. I'm just shaking my head. Mom has gone off the deep end. She's following Jesus around. So, you know, we'll figure it out. And they may not have even known, he may not have even known at that point that Jesus was being crucified. We don't know. At any rate, John is there at the cross, and he is most likely trying in his own grief to comfort these women and Jesus' mother that are standing there watching this horrific event. For Jesus to have bestowed this mantle on John was huge. It was a big thing because he was not in the immediate family that we know of. Yeah, and he is absorbing in the experience that this sacrifice is taking place. Mm -hmm. God is requiring the ultimate sacrifice, and he's there to experience it, Mm -hmm. not just to see it. We know that the Spirit of God just washed over the top of that mountain that Mm -hmm. day. And that the whole lid of the earth kind of came crushing down on them. It went dark across the entire world that they knew of for hours. They even had reports of that in Josephus, of that darkness extending for hundreds and thousands of miles Mm. out from there across the Roman Empire. That is an actual recorded event that had nothing to do with their awareness of what happened with Jesus. But it was a stellar mystery. Why would the sun go dark? Mm -hmm. They couldn't explain it. Something so profound that even creation weeps over what's going on is something profoundly demonstrated in that historical event. The solar system, the universe, is responding to this sacrifice, which tells me this is bigger than just human events. Oh, absolutely. In a literal way, not just a figurative way, that those things literally, physically happened so that the matter of the universe reflected the heart of God the Father at that moment. And we'll get to plenty of that in the next couple of chapters. But this event, John is standing in the way, literally, of the Holy Spirit coming to do his work. I know he experienced that, like his new mother and all the rest of the extended family did, mm-hmm. profoundly. Mm-hmm. And when something has transformed you, you've been there to see what happened. And you know this is life-altering for your whole family, for your nation, and for history. He would take that responsibility seriously. Absolutely. And I think he would also sense that he had a real authority to speak for this mother of his. And to be her defender. Yeah. Because we have no indication she was martyred or chased out of things, that she was protected. Mm -hmm. So something about John's position and Jesus knowing how he was so able to navigate through politics and people and places. He was just the kind of guy that seemed to be able to get along with everybody. Would be essential for his mother's care for the years to come. Yeah. Well, too, we know that he was probably the youngest of the disciples. We know Mary was probably a young teenage girl when she bore Jesus, when he was born. So Mary's not that much older than all of these people, maybe even younger than some of the disciples themselves. I don't know what their ages were. She's probably going to live a lot longer. And Jesus is saying, not only are you my dearest friend that I know will love my mother as your own, but you're probably going to live longer. And of course, Jesus may be seeing down to the island of Patmos where, where John will eventually end up knowing he's going to be an old man, so my mother will be well cared for throughout the course of her life, which may be several more years. There's a whole lot going on here that we want to take care of our parents. We want to make sure that everyone's taken care of when we know that we're toward the end. I know when my oldest brother passed away in 2012, he was intent on making sure that our mother was taken care of. It was such a great weight off of him, I think, in his final days when all of my siblings and myself, we could say to him, 
mom's going to be okay. We're going to take care of mom. Very specific things, Ab- if you Yeah, all. yeah. Who's going to be there for her when? And he yeah. would have scenarios, things he talked through with each of you about. That is a big responsibility. When your dad is gone, when the father of the family is gone, mm-hmm. and the siblings are left to care for the mom... The children hold a big responsibility, and in this patriarchal society, the oldest brother is the one who is going to be and the is most legally bound. Come and to think of it, bound, yeah. so his position, his responsibility before the law, yeah. was such that he had to assign a trustee yeah. for his mother and to take care of her affairs and make sure she was protected in the world. And that goes back to even thinking about Ruth and Boaz, mm. the roots of Jesus's understanding of how his family has always been. He knows his history. Yeah. He knows what the law requires of him. Yeah. Even in his torture, he's remembering his responsibilities. Right. He makes provision for his mother in that sense. For 78 years now, we've depended on the faithful encouragement of friends just like you to bring this unique radio and media ministry to the air each day. Friends, we're focused right now on the current crisis in and around Ukraine, like a laser. I personally met with dozens of refugees and kingdom workers who ran to the front lines of need and have selflessly given of themselves completely, thoroughly, and as I saw to the point of indescribable exhaustion. I saw refugee and servant alike shiver in a vicious blizzard that struck the first week of March. They were very much alike in one important way. They were absolutely determined to survive this ordeal and to redeem what their lives have become. We need to follow their example. Will you help us today? We have blankets and food to buy, tanks to fill with gas, and medicine to help them survive the days ahead. This need is not going away anytime soon, even as this rescue operation rapidly sweeps the refugees farther west, away from the fighting. Friends, really, we need you now to step up. Please, give generously, even sacrificially, right away. I know that God will be pleased if we do. So call us today at 1-800-868-2478. Mail us at P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. Text the word COMPASSION to 53445 or give online at CompassionRadio.com. Bless you, friends, for your brave and activist faith. I hope we can be a real encouragement and challenge to you for many, many years to come. And make sure to ask for your own copy of The Dynamic Gospel when you contact us today. Honey, let's turn to The Dynamic Gospel and read this passage. All right, verse 17, John chapter 19. And bearing the cross piece on his own back, Jesus trudged along the hill called Skull, or in Hebrew, Golgotha. They wasted no time, and they were already late for two other executions. Jesus was secured with nails and propped up directly between the other convicts. Pilate had a plaque nailed to his cross, stating, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. The crowd had no trouble reading the sign. It was visible to everyone gathered all the way back to the city center, emblazoned in all the official languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Never satisfied, Pilate's act infuriated the Jewish politicians and temple priests. You can't say he was the king of the Jews, they cried. Wrighton said he claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate shot back a terse reply. Live with it. Then the soldiers left to watch the carnage, salvage all the condemned's clothing, ripping it up into souvenirs. That fancy coat, though, was too valuable to destroy. 
finely woven as it was, in one piece. You can't rip up such a nice piece of clothing, they agreed, so they gambled for it. The scene fulfilled exactly the old scripture that says, They've torn apart my clothing and parceled it out amongst themselves. But for my coat, they cast lots. So prophesied, so done. Amidst the whole spectacle was Jesus' mother, Mary, along with her sister. Standing front and center and comforting them were others, including two other women also named Mary, the one married to Cleophas and the one called Mary Magdalene, or Mary the Strong One. Together they saw every last wrenching moment. When Jesus became aware of his mother below and that favorite student of his at her elbow, he called out to her, Mama, your son is holding you up. Mm. And to that disciple, Jesus called out, Look at her. She's your mother now. Take care of her. It was never a question. From that moment on, Mary was adopted into that student's household. Such a beautiful passage. We could go on and on about that particular segment of the scripture, but I do think we should revisit the top part of the scripture that we read about Pilate and Pilate's determination to just get one last jab in at the temple rulers. And I think he is so done with their ridiculousness, with their over-the-top brazen hatred for Jesus, that he's going to stick it to him one more time. Like we said before, he's tried desperately to get Jesus out of this. So he's going to jab it to them. Here's the king of the Jews. We talked last week about how he knows he's in a pickle. Yeah. He doesn't know how to get out of it. And he knows that he's still morally responsible for his decision. And Jesus comforts him, but it's a pretty poor comfort that your sin is the lesser of the sins. But it's still a sin. It misses the mark because of who I am. So Jesus is putting himself in a place of, I can't help you because of the situation you're in, but I still have to do this. Mm -hmm. And in saying so, he establishes his authority over the circumstances. He's already been told by Pilate, don't you realize I can put you to death or test you free? And Jesus says, basically, whatever's going to happen is going to happen because God the Father wants it, not because you do. Your authority is given to you because of heaven, because of Whatever you can decide. And some things he just can't. So Jesus is establishing his authority again, and he's looking at Pilate, probably with some pity. Hmm. And when Pilate says, what I've written, I've written, just live with it. He's also making a statement, I think it's really important, because he's saying to the world and to history that this kind of culture, this kind of fundamentalism, this kind of lording it over, that kind of nation kills its kings. Hmm. There's no moral authority they won't attack if it impinges upon their power. Right. This is not a Jewish problem. This is a human problem. Mm -hmm. The sad part is that many have tried to make it a Jewish problem and have made it to look as if the Jews themselves are somehow intrinsically more wicked than the rest of mankind. That's not true. They just happen to be the ones that were in that position to see their power diminished Mm -hmm. and challenged by a higher authority. You know, it's still happening. Look at the history of Russia and Ukraine right now in the modern era. Most Americans don't realize the battle for Ukraine has been going on for years and years. Mm -hmm. It just is now in full bore warfare. They're in a battle for truth right now. What is the real source of the evil that's going on and who's responsible for it? It's a world full of lies and the truth matters. And those who are in power cannot give it up. Mm -hmm. And they can't give in to the truth either or they would lose everything because everything that they've done would be seen to be built upon a lie. Well, they would be exposed to be the charlatans that they really are. Much like Jesus had done during his time, 
simply because he was who he was, because he said the things he said, because he went the places he went, because he touched the people he touched. Right. He pulled the scab off the nation and showed the wound for what it was mm-hmm. and how the moral rot had gone to the core, how these are whitewashed tombs, still full of dead bones, no matter how pretty they look. Right. Simply by being who he was. He wasn't going out of his way to attack. But when they came at him with falsehoods, with traps and all kinds of things, he couldn't not tell the truth. Mm-hmm. And his truth always had authority. So here we are. He's made his statement to Pilate. Pilate has made his statement to the people and to all of history. He was the king of the Jews. Who else in this scene is saying that but Pilate? But the supposed heathen. You know, he is an infidel, basically. And he's a A heathen. A complete outsider. Yeah. He has no right to say this. And yet he says what we know to be the truth. He truly was the king. He is the king. He will be the king again. So while he's being king of all mankind... Through his work with the Jewish people and through his, as we would say, the chosen, Mm -hmm. we are now chosen in a way that's unique because we are on the other side of the cross and the other side of the resurrection. But we are still chosen and we still have to choose to allow that to be our identity. Mm -hmm. And that's why there's always been that dichotomy of whether God wills it and therefore we have to do it and we have no choice or we have absolute free choice Mm -hmm. and God will have to live with our choices. We know the reality is definitely somewhere way in between all those things because we are all involved Mm -hmm. and God wants us involved. Pilate was involved and he proclaims in this scene that Jesus himself is who he says he is. Mm -hmm. And we don't see that because it lost right by it. We think about it just being a statement of frustration. But it's true. It's the truth. And he has this conversation earlier about what is truth. Yeah. And from that point on, we don't know what other conversation might have happened that we're not privy to. But it just, Pilate is in the mode of thinking philosophically about this. And he, I believe he's wrestled with this. I mean, the whole time that this back and forth, back and forth. He's got nothing better to do that day. Yeah. He's seeing this is really true. What this man is saying about himself is true. And he had to deal with that even from this point on. I just imagine in my mind the things that he continues to deal with or continues mm-hmm. to wrestle with post-crucifixion of Jesus. How often do we have a hard time accepting truth when it comes at us because it didn't come from somebody we respect? Mm. Most of the time, probably. And if God brings us truth through somebody that we think is below us or beneath us or against us because we are all this in a bag of chips— and we don't accept that truth. Is that any different, really, than the Jewish nation hearing that proclamation, which I believe came from the heart of God through Pilate? Hmm. Are we any different in our resistance to truth because of our arrogance than the Jewish people are in those situations? Well, I think sometimes we hear truth from someone who is of a different faith tradition than we are. And we get so entrenched in our own doctrine, our theologies, that we're not open to what the Spirit might say through another tradition. You know, I know you and I have attended so many different kinds of churches, different religious traditions. And denominations. And denominations. I believe if we were not allowing ourselves to be open to the message of the Holy Spirit, that we could lock down our minds and our hearts and say, this is not what I'm used to, so I'm not going to be this open worship to... worship isn't what I was... I'm it's not what I like. This, yeah, all those kind of things. We can miss so much beautiful truth yeah. that the Spirit wants to shed on our hearts. We're not even talking about our emotional response here. Mm-hmm about how much it means to us when we hear truth come to us in a way that pierces our hearts and goes someplace and does something inside us. Mm -hmm. We're simply talking about 
empirical truth. Yeah. Either this is true or not true. There have been many people, Christians alike, that have said over the years that all truth is God's truth. We pay lip service to that because, yeah, well, technically that would have to be true. Because if it's true, it didn't come from the devil because the devil's full of lies. The only way he would use a fact is to twist it in order to get us to believe something false. He is not about trying to reinforce truth in our lives. But God is, because God is truth. Therefore, if it's true, it is true, it is true, wherever it comes from. And if God allows a donkey to speak to Balaam and say, you will be my mouthpiece, and Balaam does not want to do it and goes back before a king, but does it anyway, because he's compelled to by God's spirit saying, if you won't do it, the donkey's going to do it. Who's it going to be? That's an odd situation, but it is absolutely indicative of God saying, tell the truth, live by the truth. Do not say lies and claim that I said them. Those things that he takes incredibly seriously, tears God's heart so much that it's, as far as we can see it, irredeemable. Mm-hmm. And I do believe it has something to do with telling lies and claiming they're God's. Truth, God is not a liar. He is a truth teller in every way imaginable. And he speaks truth to our hearts. And the truth is meant to heal. It's meant to send us forth with authority, not to confuse us and mislead us. And we know that from our previous readings in the book of John that Jesus says, I am the truth. It's one of the I am statements that we've talked about so often here. So it is the very essence of who he is. And what he is doing on the way to the cross here and on the cross is true. True to the heart of God and true to his purpose and his mission and his essence, the very essence of the word logos is to be with those who suffer, to suffer on behalf of those who should not, but might Mm. and will without him. That is where we have to end this part of chapter 19. And we'll jump right back into it for the rest of this painful, painful scene in next week's broadcast. Thanks for joining us today. Send your special gift for the church in Ukraine today. Call 1-800-868-2478. Text the word COMPASSION to 53445 or give online at CompassionRadio.com. God bless, and we'll see you tomorrow.